0: Okay, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to continue um, in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, just working through it, just enjoying spending hours studying Jesus' words here in his first sermon. Last week we took the uh, first part of Matthew 6, 1 through 18 and kind of broke it down and it's really important to me when I'm studying and preaching to prayerfully consider what's the intention of the speaker or the author that's recorded in the scripture because if you can kind of get behind what the intention of the speaker is then it sheds a whole lot of light on what the words are on the page and what they actually mean and so in chapter 5 Jesus said you know you've heard it said but I say in other words they've taught you this way but I'm teaching you a little differently in chapter six, he starts and he basically says, "You've seen it done, but I say don't do it that way. Do it this way." So that's the, the sort of the, the nuance, and he gives us different areas uh, in in chapter six where he gives examples of how not to do righteous deeds the way that the the hypocrites have done them, and and essentially the whole thesis of, of this chapter then becomes. Don't do your righteous deeds before men to be seen by them and forfeit the reward that your father wants to give you. Your father desires to reward you, but don't do righteousness in the way that you've seen it done. In other words, the way that the hypocrites, the Pharisees have modeled it. it is do it a totally different way. And he works through in those first 18 verses and he, and he deals with the issue of giving to the poor and prayer. And, uh, and fasting. And he says, don't, don't do it the way they've done it. They do it to be seen. He goes, I tell you, do it unto the Father and, and serve the Father in all that you do, and he will reward you generously in, in another time to come. And so, what we have in, from verse 19 through the end of the chapter, then, it's, uh, d- it's basically deeper thoughts. Along this same line. Because what he's dealing with is not doing righteous deeds to be seen by men. And one of the points we made last week, actually I'll touch two of them again, just in in review. One of them is that, uh, well let me give you the second one first, because I forgot the first one. Praise God. The second one, the one that just lodged, as I was saying, maybe this is the important one, is this issue of hypocrisy. Uh, That, you know, that word for hypocrites that he uses... Is the Greek word for actors. And he gives us a definition, and now I got the first point back. He gives us a definition for hypocrisy that it's, it's those that are acting, uh, and they're acting in their righteousness. They're doing things publicly, but their hearts are not connected to that. They're doing it for different motives. And so he's dealing with this issue of, of external works for men's p- pleasure, and he's calling that hypocrisy, like this actor. Well, and the other thing he deals with is the, uh, the understanding of the Father. You've got to comprehend that the Father desires to reward you. He loves you. He's thinking about you. He's kind. He's tender towards you. And, and that's the lens that he's giving us. Do what you do with the motivation of love for the Father. And allow that love to compel you in all that you do, and then you won't do it for men's approval and men's praise, you'll do it to bless the Father. And beloved, that man, that is such a core thing we've got to embrace in our walk, is so that we live how we live out of the, the, the nucleus of love for God and His love for us. the compelling, controlling, constraining love of the Father. It moves our hearts. So, what Jesus does then in 19 uh, through 34, the rest of the chapter, is he's giving us thoughts on how to stay out of the trap that the hypocrites fell in. He goes, here's some things I want you to to consider. In other words, this is going to keep you, if 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 you'll let the motives of your heart be aligned this way. This will keep you out of falling into that trap that the Pharisees fell into. Doing all their works to be seen by men. Because I'm going to give you some other thoughts that will, will keep you out of those traps. And that's what he's doing, I think, from verse 19 to, uh, to 34. Now, as I mentioned, this issue of the, uh, the hypocrites, the actors. He's trying to get the subjects of his kingdom to not be actors. To be genuine, to be authentic, to be real. He, he doesn't want us to just do righteous deeds, uh, uh, and, and it's not just with your heart disconnected from him, that's really not the point he's hitting, but doing righteous deeds for men's praise. That's really what they were, they were about. Now, if you think about someone that's an actor, why do actors do what actors do? What do actors get for being actors? money. They get applause. They get prominence. They get acclaim from humans. And so what he's going to do now in 19 through 34 is he's going to deal with those issues, the motivation of doing things for human acclaim and prominence and for earthly treasures. That's where he's going. And so it's, to me, it's, it's, it's helpful when you see how he's tying together the different ideas he's throwing out. And I think Jesus was an amazing communicator. The scripture says it. They they when the crowds heard him, they said, "We have never heard anybody speak like this. Never heard anybody teach or talk this way." I mean, he's he's incredible. So, I mean, we've all heard wonderful communicators and and people that can hold A crowd's attention, move a crowd, but man, can you imagine what it was like, Jesus in his earthly ministry, fully anointed by the Holy Spirit, teaching with Holy Spirit revelation in the language of the common people. I mean, everything he's saying, it's just, I mean, it's just impactful. And even if they walked away, you know, sometimes you go to a message, you go, man, it was good. You go, what was it about? They go, I don't know, but it was good. I mean, they probably did that a lot. Because he says, you know, some of these things, I've actually hidden the, the truths of them. But they said, I don't know, but that guy is awesome, you know. He really has a way. So, here's what he said about those, those rabbis, those hypocrites. He said in, in Matthew 23, he said, they love the best places at feasts. They love the best seats in the synagogue. They love titles to be called rabbi and greetings in the marketplaces. And they love to devour widows' houses. And the devouring of widows' houses was they would, they would essentially swindle these widows out of their, their estate. Swindle them out of their money. They promised to, to manage the money for them. And then they wouldn't give uh, these women actually what they had transferred over. They would take the money for themselves. So they're getting prominence, the best places, the best seats, the, the greetings, the title, and the money. That's why they were doing what they were doing. And you've got to kind of, you know, we don't necessarily think about the best places in the synagogue or the best places in the feasts, but in that culture, in that day, those are the top positions of prominence. They, they were the upper crust in that, in that culture. So here's now Jesus going to give it to us in 19 through 34, how to stay away from those traps That those Pharisees fell into and and how to not do like they've done. All right, look at verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. Here we go. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've heard lots of uh, references to this verse many times. Uh, Preachers will use this in in offerings. I I appreciate that. I think it has an application. But I think what Jesus is, is specifically doing is what I just said. He goes, how do you stay away from the trap of doing righteousness before men for men's approval? He goes, well, first thing is, you've got to think about the motive for why you do life. Because are you doing life to store up things on the earth? Is that what you're doing it for? Are you doing life to gain as much earthly treasure as possible? Or are you doing life for a different kind of treasure? A heavenly treasure? Now, I think this applies to the issue of money. Specifically, it does. But... In the context, he goes, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. If it was solely about money, what, ha- what is heavenly money? Treasures in heaven. What is that? In other words, here's a big one. Hermeneutically, that just means how you interpret it. You can't just, you can't just say it's only money. Because a heavenly treasure is more than a coin. Or more than a dollar. Or more than a mound of gold. Or a big house. Or a nice car. What he's dealing with here is. He goes, number one, how you stay out of the trap of living for men. Is you allow your motive to be different. I'm just going to tell you something. (laughs) As I'm studying this, Matthew 6. It was working me over working me over. And here's why. What he's saying here flies in the face of so much how we live our life in the West. It is so disruptive. It's so disruptive. In fact, it's so disruptive that our temptation will be to sort of hear it and go, it's you know, it's not that serious. You just kind of, you know, we just kind of curb it off a little bit and where it's sharp we just kind of round that off and go you know uh, I'm mostly I'm mostly kingdom minded but when you look at the way he says this thing and then the issue of living for God or money the way he's about to do this I'm just warning you he, he cuts out all the gray area it is so disruptive it leaves us with this question how now shall we live when you read this and you get it, the question becomes, how now shall we live? Because this is absolutely perpendicular. It, is, it runs cross-grain completely to our culture. And we've got little Christian sayings, I've said them, that kind of soften this. and I'm going to have to confess in a moment where it's just, it's just wrong. You can't. Because he actually builds the thought, and then he sharpens it. And what we tend to do is we build the thought, and then we soften it. He, he's not doing that. He's actually, he's actually you know, adding a little bit, and then he, he's saying a few things and adding a little bit. And then he's raising it, and then he's you know really exclam- putting an exclamation point on it. We go, well, it's kind of more this way. He, no, that's not what he's doing. So here's, here it is. He goes, okay, don't store it for yourselves. Treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves rake in the steel. Okay, is he prohibiting a bank account? No. Is he prohibiting a savings account? No. Is he prohibiting ownership? No. And clearly we see that because in the New Testament, they did. They owned things. Now at the onset of the church, they sold much of what they had and combined it in the, in the midst of massive persecution and they distributed to anyone who had need. In Acts 2, we see that. But later, when Paul is addressing the church as it's spread throughout Asia Minor, he's describing those who own things. And he's saying, make sure they're liberal. Make sure they're generous. And he even says to Timothy, I just wonder how this would go over in our churches today. He says, command those who are rich not to trust in riches, but to be generous to others. <laughs> and what if I had a special meeting for everybody that made over a certain amount of money? I said, hey, I just want to meet with all you guys. I, tonight, I just want to command you to share all your money. To be generous. And don't trust in your money. Amen. Bless you guys. <laughs> that, Yet, yeah, that's Paul's admonition to Timothy. So, so we know, though, by, by the model and the practice of the New Testament church, Jesus isn't forbidding bank accounts. He's not forbidding, forbidding ownership. What he's doing is dealing with the motive of your heart. He's going so deep right now. Because the question is, why are you living? What are you living for? Every day, day in and day out, every hour, every minute, every moment. What is the reason why you are exerting your life in a certain direction? And we all you know and we all go well, I'm, I'm living for Jesus because we know the right answer, but what he is going to do is he's going to identify the motive of our heart by the way that we employ our finance and really the w- the way that we employ you know not just it's more than our money it's actually what we're going for so he says this then he goes don't store up treasures on earth." He goes, they're temporal. He goes, they can eat, they're moth-eaten, they can rust, and thieves can steal them. They're temporal, they're subject to temporal realities. He's, he's dealing with the motive of human hearts. Why are you doing what you're doing? And so this nails that motive of, you know, trying to make a lot, to have a lot, uh, to provide a lot even. You could say, you know, for yourself is what I'm saying. That motive of storing up for yourself a lot. And there's this, there's this, you know, sort of mentality people carry. They go, you know, I'll I'll give a lot when I have a lot. And and, you know, we know that's not true because you know, if you don't give when you got a little, you're not going to give. Faithful a little, faithful much. If you don't give when you got a little, you're not going to give when you got a lot. We have funny ideas about possessions. The problem is, the way that we approach, the, the, the motive of our heart and our approach to what we produce out of our life, that dictates so much about the way that we live, and it has so much to do with whether or not we're living for the kingdom or not. Because where he's going to punctuate this is, is powerful. So he goes, don't have a motive that's primarily about getting stuff on the earth. Earthly treasures, it's money, yes, it's possessions, yes, but it's even this issue of acclaim and prominence and platform, the best seats. Don't let that be your motive. Don't go for those things. Don't reach for those things. He goes, but store up treasures in heaven. He goes, they're incorruptible. Moths can't eat treasures in heaven. Rust can't touch it and thieves can't steal it. And what he's talking about now is live a life, this is it, live a life that maybe doesn't get the rewards of this place, but it gets great rewards in the age to come. Live a life where the, the, maybe the bank account isn't as full because of what you've done with the money. And the possession mill isn't as full and the prominence in front of people isn't as as great. Live a life that way because all of those decisions to give it away and to live for less and to live for love and live for others, ultimately live for the kingdom, all those decisions are actually making deposits. and This is where you have to live, believing this to be true. Making deposits in an account the Lord's keeping for you in heaven if you don't believe there's a great review coming you cannot live this way there is a great review it, 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 I, I, I think about this if not daily, weekly that the days of my life will be reviewed all the works will be reviewed by Jesus me and him are going to have a job review You know, those of you that, you know, in your employment, you have a job review every year or every quarter or whatever, you know that feeling. That job review helps you to actually do a little better. Job review is coming up. Oh, better really get my numbers up or make sure I'm doing right. The job review helps you. It helps to motivate the heart because it's all going to be inspected. So the Lord... It's going to review all of us. Now, here's the deal. The blood of Jesus covers all your sins. Praise God. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to review with the Lord. Just do not want to have those conversations. Thank God He's gracious. So, before Christ, everything is covered. In Christ, here's how it works. All, All that you repent of is covered. The other, it's forgiven, but it can cause you to suffer loss. If you live in Christ in a way that's not uh, righteous according to the values of the kingdom, that will be reviewed, and, and Paul talked about that. He said, some are going to present their works to the Lord. It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. Fire is going to hit it. It'll be tried by fire, and all they'll have is a heap of ash. They'll be saved as by fire. It's talking about those that live with a, 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 a different motive than kingdom motives, In Christ, sin's forgiven, but saved as by fire. So, if you don't believe that you've got a job review coming, you'll cast off restraint. Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. If you do believe there's a job review coming, and then there's a reward coming based off of how you've lived in this age, all of a sudden, this makes so much sense. Okay, so don't live for these earthly treasures because they're perishable. Live for eternal treasures that aren't perishable. That makes a ton of sense. Because what's going to, you know, what's on the earth, that's going to fade. It's going to, you know, ultimately have no value in the eyes of eternity. But what's going to have value forever, it's the treasures in heaven. It's the rewards in heaven. It's how I've lived in this age by kingdom principles that have then allowed the Lord to reward me richly in that day. The father, and this is what he's just gone over in verse 1 through 18. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. It's what he's dealing with, this issue of eternal treasures. And I don't know about you, but that puts a little bit of a tremble in my heart. Because I look at, I look, I th- I, the, the way I do it in my mind is I look at my life as a pie graph, and then I think about the slices on the pie uh, that maybe, they are, or maybe they're broken down by how I've spent my time. And the Lord goes, okay, this part, sleeping and eating, everybody had to do that, good job. Some will sleep too much, they'll go, bad job, you slept too much. For real. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest. Your poverty comes upon you like a vagabond. That is real. There are people that love sleep. <laughs> Don't love your bed too much. Amen. So, you got the pie graph. You got the part to sleep. And then we've, in America, we've got this other part. Recreation and entertainment. <sighs> that, that causes me to gasp. Because I think there's a, I think there's a balance, and I think there's a balanced approach to recreation and entertainment, but I'm just not sure that we've got a good calibrator in in the West. We do a lot of hanging out, a lot of entertaining, a lot of recreation. We live for the weekends. Many people, (laughs) this is how they do their life. They get up in the morning, they work so they can get off work. They go through their week for the weekend. They work all year for the vacation. They live their entire life working so they can retire. That's how they do. That's the entire focus. I don't know how that's going to look on the pie graph. I look at my life and I just, at times, I'll just take inventory. I'll go, whoa, how am I spending my time? How's this going to look on the pie graph? Because it's real. There's a real pie graph. And his is way more exact than the way I envision it for sure. If you ever, if you ever wonder, if you, ever, you know, we all kind of are, we're kind of good to ourselves. You think, I don't waste any money and I don't spend any, I don't waste any time. We say things like, I don't have enough time. Imagining that all of our time is employed in stuff that's fruitful. And it's, you know, there's, it's not wasted time. We just don't have enough of it. Think about this. I don't have enough time. I, I've done this before. You ought to just make a list of how you spent your time and, and then get blown away by where the waste is. It'll it'll bring you right back. Oh my goodness. Because it's all going to be in the pie graph. It's all going to be in the review. I want my life's lean, the, the great pursuits of my heart to have been not gaining things for earthly reward, treasure, blessing, prominence, praise, pleasures. But I, I want it to be that I've lived a life that clearly was thinking about the age to come. That there's treasures for me in a day ahead because I've taken this life, I've pushed off on temporal pleasures and immediate gratifications for the purpose of an eternal reward that the Lord is is treasuring up for me right now. That's what Jesus is dealing with. What is the motive of your life day to day? Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth as the main reach of your heart. Let the reach of your heart, the main reach of your heart, to lay up treasures in heaven. There's ages to come, beloved. It's not just sort of this, you know, ethereal place with wispy clouds and who knows, you know, fourth dimension. There's real things to come. There's a real age to come where Jesus will reign on the earth. His, His bride will rule with him on the earth for a thousand years at least in this next age. And then after that, There's more ages. Paul described, he said, there are ages to come. He wants to show you the riches of his kindness and mercy. This thing goes on for a while. When I realized that we don't turn into fat babies floating on clouds, playing harps, wearing togas, when, you know, I used to have that picture. Jesus comes back and poof, we're all kind of floating around on a cotton swab, playing harps. When I I realized this has actually got, you know, real things that are going to happen in the age to come. And I, my station in that age is dependent upon how I live in this age. Man, that, that centered something in me. I go, oh my goodness. I want to live not for the immediate, but for the eternal. How about you? See, th- this is so disruptive. I'm telling you, it's disruptive, it's countercultural to our Western mentalities and, and ideologies. It's so disruptive. So he goes, don't, store up treasures now, store up treasures then. And then he says this thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he's saying there is, the reach of your, uh, of your life, where your treasure is, the reach of your life, the motive of your heart for life, where your treasure is, whether it's here now or in, in, in the age to come, that's going to dictate the, the affection of your heart. Now, I've heard it said, if you'll, you know, maybe you don't feel like giving. I've heard, I've heard this taught. If you don't feel like giving, but you go ahead and, and you give, your heart will follow where you give. I don't believe that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that the, 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 what you treasure, what the, the reach of your life is about, earthly things or heavenly things, It dictates where your affections will go. Either your your affections are rooted in the earthly, or they're rooted in the heavenly. And beloved, I want to tell you something. There's many believers whose affections, they have all the Christian jargon, they know the verses, they've read through the Bible, they can say it, they can agree with the best of us. They know all the jargon, but their affections are soundly rooted in this age. And Jesus is speaking counter cultural to that mentality. He's sharpening the point. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be rooted in the eternal or rooted in the natural. All right. Next. He's still talking about how to stay away from the trap of, of the Pharisees doing things for earthly treasures. Verse 22. Y'all are still with me, right? Okay. Now, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great, how great is that darkness? Now, once again, he's, he's talking along the same lines. He's dealing with this issue of heavenly or earthly, temporal or eternal. That's what he's dealing with. So here's what he says. He goes, now your eye, it's a light. It's a lamp. Your eye is a lamp. If you set your eye on things that are good, your body will be filled, with, the idea is, with good light. But if you set your eye on things that are evil, your body will be filled with darkness, or bad light, you could say. Darkness. And if your eye, which is a lamp, fills you with darkness, the idea is, he basically goes, how great is that darkness? The idea is, that's really a bad thing how great is that darkness when what's supposed to be a lamp filling you with light is actually filling you with darkness. Now, I do believe this talks about where you put your eyes. I think that works. I think you can utilize that and say, hey, you know, make a covenant with your eyes. Don't look on anything that's going to cause you to lust and in any kind of a way. I think that works. But I think, again, he's using this in a, in a, in a, uh, a symbolic sense, just like the heavenly and earthly treasures. He's, he's talking about the eye And he's, again, dealing with the issue of the reach of the heart. What are you looking at? Where are your affections? He just said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. In other words, the eye, the affection of your heart, it's what lights your body, lights your life, lights your heart. And here we go, beloved. If we're all the time, think about it, all the time looking at the earthly, looking at the temporal, looking at the things we want on the earth. And we're getting ready to come up into into the holiday season. We got Black Friday coming up. And we got four weeks of tis the season, praise God. Tis the season to buy stuff. (laughs) If your eye is set on earthly things, temporal things, your affections are set on what you can get here and now. If that's what's motivating you, he says, that's a bad eye. He goes, that's a bad eye. It will fill you with darkness. Wow. So if the reach of my heart is about earthly treasures it will fill me with darkness and he goes and if what is supposed to be a lamp for you what if it's what is supposed to light you lights you with darkness how great is that darkness and in some senses you could say it's just like when he when uh uh, paul said "The, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil In some senses you could say the reach of your heart dictates whether you'll live righteously or whether you live unrighteously. These men, these hypocrites that he's teaching them not to act like, they were living unrighteously though they were practicing righteous things. Why? Because the reach of their heart was for the earthly, the temporal, immediate gratification, prominence among men, and, and, and earthly treasures. They were even doing Righteous acts. Yet they were filled with darkness. Jesus goes, no, no, no. Let your eye and the reach of your heart, let it be for the kingdom. And he's going to make it real clear in just a second. He goes, let it be for the good. Let your heart's desire be to, to, to live for the age to come. For the righteousness of the kingdom, it will fill you with light. And I was thinking about the concept of the pursuit of happiness. Have you ever noticed, it seems to me that people like the idea of the pursuit of happiness, but it seems to me like this continuous pursuit of temporal happiness, it leaves people very unhappy. You know why? Why? It's it's the bad eye. The pursuit for temporal happiness is the eye set on temporal things. It fills them with darkness. The pursuit of happiness, beloved, is completely contradictory to seeking first the kingdom of God. This is so disruptive. Living first for the kingdom, which is about what he's, what he's about to cap this with. Seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's what he's going to say the good eye is. That, that lean of the heart for the eternal, that lean of the heart for the righteous thing, that lean of the heart for the age to come, living this life for that age Rather than the the reach of the heart, living for the here and now and what I can get. Because if you live for the here and now, if your eye is set on the bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And look at this. What we like to do is, we say things like, well, it's okay to have money so long as money doesn't have you. It's okay to have things so long as things don't have you. I'm not saying it's not okay to be wealthy but what I am saying is the admonitions in the new just hear me the admonitions in the new testament to the wealthy are so often warnings the majority of them are warnings how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven more difficult than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Paul to Timothy command those who are rich to be generous and to share. And to not trust in, 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 in worldly riches. The admonitions toward those that have things are strong. And the reason why is when you have things, it's very easy for things to have you. It's true. Our nation is a perfect example of it. You know, you might not think of you yourself as one of the haves. But if you live in America, you're one of the haves. In the earth, you're one of the haves. You have. You have stuff. You're in the top percentage of the wealthy of the earth. Our nation will completely uh, do whatever it can to continue to have all of its temporal comforts because it doesn't want to give away anything that that makes for our, our momentary pleasure and our momentary satisfaction. And so therefore, we've gone completely in debt with that mentality. It's, it's destructive. Here's what he's going to say. Look at verse 24. <sighs> no one can serve two masters. He's, you, see, you see what he's doing? He goes, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's okay to have money, but money can't have you. No one can serve two masters. He goes, there's not a gray area here. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and wealth or God and the reach for temporal things. The whole conversation, the good eye and the bad eye, treasures in heaven and treasures on earth, he's punctuating it here. He goes, listen, there's not a gray area in this thing. If your reach is for worldly pleasure and treasure, You won't be able to serve God. And if your reach is truly for God, you won't serve those things. And so, how do we how do we deal with this? We we live with our whole heart reaching for God. And if God adds earthly treasures and wealth to us, we utilize those things to serve God, not to serve ourselves. We utilize those things to seek the kingdom, not our own pleasures. We utilize those things to seek righteousness, not our own momentary gratifications. It's critical, beloved. And that's why there's so many warnings to the rich in the New Testament. Because you cannot serve God and the desire for things. You can't. Now that's hard for us to hear. Because we wouldn't think of ourselves as having stuff. we think, I'm middle class. Middle class in the global community is upper class. We have lots of things. Now, in an economic environment where things are challenging, this may not be popular, but it's the Bible. You cannot serve God and the reach for natural things. It's so disruptive to the way we live, so disruptive to our paradigms. What it requires then is for us to take these things before the Lord and ask the Lord to honestly assess the reach of our hearts. The reach of our hearts. What are we living for? What is the motive of our heart? What are we shooting for in this life? I'm telling you, as I'm reading these words, I'm looking at my life, and I'm saying, Lord... I don't want to just make it a gray area and say, well, I can have some stuff so long as it doesn't have me. I want you to plumb line my life according to the kingdom mentalities. I want that, the righteousness of the kingdom. So he takes out the middle ground. There is no middle ground. And now he's going to to deal with where we put our trust. It's like, at this point, you're like, okay, Jesus, just give the altar call. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, you guys are really worried. The idea is, you're really worried, and that's why you can't receive what I just said. So he goes, don't worry. Change where your trust is. Look at verse 25. Here we go. For this reason, I'm saying this to you now. He goes, because of what I just said, now I'm saying this to you. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns because they're not working in the fields he goes. and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth, worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. They don't, they don't make clothes. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 31. Do not worry then. Saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So what's he saying? He goes, don't worry about your necessities. What? See, my answer, I go, what? I have a stomach that grounds when it gets hungry. I have a body that gets cold when it's cold and hot when it's hot. What do you mean, don't worry? He is trying to calibrate us on a completely different scale. He's trying to calibrate us and center us by a whole different plumb line. And he's telling us that the reach for the temporal is often motivated by fear. So he goes, "Don't worry." But 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 I, h- how am I going to get food? He goes, "God feeds birds; he'll feed you." But 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 wh- how do I get clothes? He goes. God clothes grass with lilies. He's going to clothe you. This is not a big amen message right now. But this is what Jesus said. God, how do we eat? He goes, he feeds birds. You're worth more than a a bird. (laughs) I mean, I could just see the crowd going, what? What did he just say? Oh yeah, yeah. God puts God puts flowers in the field. He clothes the grass with flowers. He goes, that even he goes, that those fields with those those flowers, that looks better than even ever Solomon looked. He'll, he'll clothe you. Do you understand? This is disruptive, isn't it? Completely disruptive. Countercultural. Contradictory to how we're normally tuned. He goes, I'm trying to tune you to a different sound. I'm trying to calibrate you to a different focus. It's the focus of the kingdom, not the focus of this age. If you focus and lust and and lean and reach toward this age, you'll get filled with darkness. That's what he's trying to say. But if you will reach for the kingdom. You'll be filled with light. And so they go, Well, how do we provide for ourselves? He goes, Don't worry. Because your worry is driving you to reach for natural things. Don't worry. God's got it. God's got it. He loves you, and therefore He'll provide for you. That's what He's saying. He loves you, therefore He'll feed you, He'll give you something to drink, and He'll give you clothes. Now, is Jesus outlawing working? No. I, you know, I, I, right now I can see the, some lazy guys going, sweet. I just going to trust the Lord. Amen. Brother, don't you think you need to, like, work? No, man, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm not worried at all. Got ten bucks, you know. No, Paul told us, he goes, You don't work, you don't eat. What, what Jesus is dealing with with is the reach of your heart. Because what happens if you work and it doesn't provide for you to eat? God's got this. What happens if you you work and there is no work? God's got this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Beloved, I've seen Christians shipwreck their lives, make bad decisions, do all sorts of crazy stuff because they're scared about provision. Move themselves all over the place because there's a job over there or there's something over here, and the Lord's not telling them to do it. See, we imagine imagine that... uh, where the money is, is where God is. But biblically, that's not always the case. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But see, we all, want, we all want to be Abraham following God out into the desert, and then the Lord makes of him a great nation. We don't want to be David who starts in the palace and ends up in the cave. The word of the Lord came to David. You will be king. Instantly he can kill bears and lions and Goliaths. He's like, man, this anointing is good stuff. And then he gets exalted to be the, the head of the army. Then he gets to sit in Saul's court. And then these, these songwriters, they write this song and all the women of the, the land, it's a catchy tune. and Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands, ten thousands. Ten thousands. Ten thousands. And Saul hears the song. He goes, hey David, play that harp again for me. Yeah, yeah, just face the other direction. He pulls out a spear. Saul's now trying to kill him. David's on the run. He's got 3,000 assassins after him. He's living seven years in caves. Come on. He hadn't missed God sometimes the Lord brings the blessing like what he did. We always quote the Abraham scriptures. We don't ever quote the David Cave of Dulem scriptures. The point is, Paul said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what moves me. The reach toward earthly treasures, earthly possessions... The worry about how you're going to be provided for. He's dealing with all that. What do you think Elijah felt like when the Lord says, Okay, Elijah, I want you to prophesy to the heavens that it won't rain. And Elijah goes, Amen. No rain in Jesus' name. Whatever. Let's say it to the Lord. And, uh, and then he goes, What do you think the first day that Elijah didn't have food and no water? He goes, Uh... Whoops, because I, hey, God, he goes, hey, I've got a brook. Go to the brook Cherith, because I'm going to bring ravens dropping meat off. Okay, you shut the heavens. Okay, sweet, there's water here. Thank you, raven. Water, drink, eat. What happens when the brook dries up? So often we go, well, I must have missed God. No, the word of the Lord was still the same. Go to the brook Cherith. And he was there with the brook dried up. He had to wait until the Lord said, hey, there's a widow. She's got one slice of bread. Go ask her to give it to you. And the Lord leads through lack and He leads through plenty. And the way He's able to lead the people of God through lack and through pl- plenty is because they don't have their heart set on this place. They have their heart set on another place and they're not worried about where it's coming from because they know God has got them. This is so countercultural. Jesus' word is don't put your affections on the earthly. Don't set your eye on the earthly. Don't store up the earthly. Don't work for the earthly. Work for the age to come. And don't worry. You're more valuable than sparrows. And you're more important than the grass. God's going to take care of it. So he summarizes it with this. You stay out of the trap the Pharisees fell in by doing this. Seek first the kingdom. And seek the righteousness of God first. Everything you need will be added to you if you'll seek those first. You know what we love? Uh, I'm just going to say it, I'm just meddling now. but we love to quote this verse, "Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things you need will be added to you. We imagine that we can quote that verse, apply it to our lives without actually seeking first the kingdom. Seeking first the kingdom means you're embracing a countercultural lifestyle that's completely going against the grain. You're living in meekness and mercy and poor in spirit. You're doing the values of the kingdom, forgiving. You're living under God in private rather than in public. You're giving your life away for love of God. Seek first the kingdom. And seek the righteousness of the kingdom. Because then everything you need will be added to you. We love to have the label, have the verse, we wave the verse and quote it and have the label Christian, but the actuality is absent and so a lot of times we don't actually see the provision because we're not actually living in the qualifier. Seeking first the kingdom, really seeking the kingdom, seeking entrance to it and the establishment of it. See, this goes way deeper than just going to church on Sunday. It's about living a life that comprehends the king is coming. He's going to set up his kingdom. We're here now. We're occupying till he comes. And we're living by the values of the kingdom that's coming. This is how we do. We're seeking the kingdom. And we're seeking to live the righteousness of it. It's how we live in this age, beloved. And all you need, all the things you need, it'll be added to you when you're living under that value system. Do you see what he's doing? He's ripping us out of the, the value system of the world, plunging us into the value system of the kingdom. And he goes, and by the way, there is a great support plan in the kingdom. There's a great welfare plan in the kingdom. All you can eat, all you can drink, and all you can wear. That's the welfare plan of the kingdom. Don't worry about it. And then he ends it up with this. So don't worry. (laughs) Not about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying? He's saying don't ever plan? No, he's not saying don't plan. He's just saying, listen, when you're in the kingdom, God's got you. Pray the model I told you to pray. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from temptation. Trust the Lord. Really deal with the issue of fear. Get your eye off the dark things. Get your eye on the good things. Live by the values of the kingdom. And God will take care. It's disruptive, isn't it? It's really disruptive. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I got this down. I'm getting worked by these verses. But you know what I want? I want to get worked. I want to get worked over by this. Because I don't want to be imagining I'm living in the kingdom and by the values of the kingdom and I'm just sucked into some worldly, temporal mentality and I don't even realize. I want to get worked over. Because in a time when, I, when, when I'm staring at a, a dry brook, I want to, with a heart full of faith, go, you've got me, don't you? You got me. In a time when the ravens quit bringing the meat. I want to be able to say with a heart of full, full of faith. You, you feed birds, you're going to feed me. That's the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Seek the establishment of the kingdom. Jesus reign. Seek that with all your heart. Seek the righteousness of the kingdom. Everything you need will be added to you. Get your heart off, uh, unattached. Get detached from living from this, for this realm. Some Christians, they have the label Christian. All they care about is this age, this realm. I mean, look, I'm, I'm in there, to a certain extent, there's, a, there's a, a godly responsibility we have to see the kingdom established now. David said, he goes, I, I would have fainted if I didn't believe I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But listen, I'm not made for this age. I'm made for another age. And eternity is written on my heart. It tells me I'm made for more than this. And if you're telling me that I can push off temporal comforts, immediate gratification, I can push those things off now, and it's going to get paid back to me in a multiplied way in a day to come. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm in. How how do I get me in? He goes, seek the kingdom. Seek that, that righteousness. Everything you need now will be added to you. He goes and live to the Father in secret; He'll reward you openly. Sometimes when I'm studying and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't even sound like the Christianity that I've heard. Have you had that experience? Sometimes, when I'm like, you know, and I compare it to messages I've heard whether on TV or, and I go, "Whoa, that's totally different." I want it to. I want this to work me and rewrite the reality of my heart, because I want to be so calibrated with the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let me commend you for hanging in there. I know it's not easy sometimes to hear these things. I'm getting to where it's becoming easy to preach them. That's a good thing, because that means I'm, I'm not really cared about what people think. You're not going to be at my job review. (laughs) Amen. That's a good thing. I'm working for my boss. But hopefully I'm serving you. That's what I want to do. Serve the ones he loves. Oh, and he loves you. The Father loves his kids. Amen. Let's stand.